0: Well, let's, uh, let's dive in this morning. We've been in this, um, this series called Grounded for Life. We've been looking at the book of, uh, or the letter to 1 Corinthians, this letter that Paul, uh, the apostle, wrote to the church at Corinth and to the people, and, and, and we'll see here, but several times in the book, he, he names himself as Father. We're going to see that later on in chapter 4 here in a minute, uh, but he names himself as Father, and that's really important. That's really important because there's something powerful, wouldn't you say, about the relationship between, between father or just parent in general, but father and, and, their, and children. Right, like, there's, like that's a really, would you agree? It's a really important relationship? Okay, thank you, y'all are like half dead out there. That's a really, really important, all the guys are like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna buy today for Valentine's Day? I totally forgot, right, no. You got plenty of time, guys. Your wife says yes on the form. You're like, yes, I'll be back in 30 minutes, all right? It's okay. It always works that way. But this morning, I want us to focus because Paul is writing as a father to his children. And I think the interesting thing is if Paul had his druthers, he would prefer to sit down with them one-on-one because there's just something about a letter that is, is personal but impersonal, especially in such an important message as the one that Paul is trying to, to get across to, to his children. This is really a coffee shop conversation where even as I'm reading through, I'm like, my gosh, I wish I could sit with each of you individually and talk about this message. Because what I believe Paul is getting at is in the first three chapters, he's looking at them in the context of a loving father, someone that a group that he cares madly about with everything inside of his heart. And I believe he's looking at them and saying, guys, I love you, but you've all fallen short of your potential. We've laid this foundation of Christ. Remember, we looked at in the first chap, first couple of chapters. We laid this beautiful foundation of Jesus. There's no other foundation that can be laid other than Jesus. But the building that you've built on that you've built cannot is is not in keeping with the foundation. You, you, are, you could build this amazing building, but you're but you're just not realizing that potential. The building you've built is not keeping in code with. Jesus, this foundation that's been built. Scott talked two weeks ago about this nature of of wisdom, the end of chapter 2, going into chapter 3, and he said that basically we've fallen short of our potential because we have not embraced the big W wisdom of God. He said we've leaned into little W wisdom, our own human wisdom. We live life every day in our own strength defined by our own wisdom, by the things that that we know, leaning into ourselves rather than leaning into this great wisdom and knowledge of Jesus. And he said that true, listen, true godly wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. That's Proverbs. Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 1. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And the idea of fear of the Lord is a really interesting word because so many of us grew up fearing our father and like, I'm scared and don't want to be near him because he makes me afraid for my own life right? And so that's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord does not push us away from God. The fear of the Lord is that, oh my gosh, he is so large, and he is so big, and yes, he can destroy anything he wants to destroy, but but I, I love him, so I'm drawn to him. The fear of the Lord is a drawing fear, right? It is a bringing me in, and I'm aware of how big he is and how small I am. I've told stories before, like I never forget when I saw the wrath of my dad towards this group of guys, and I never forget, I'm literally laying, I'm like, I'm standing up in the water. He's on the back deck of our 1979 pro craft bass boat with a 150 mercury on it right and he's holding this like miller light can in his hand and this guy says something he says something back and my the guy says something back and my dad takes the can with like and just like crumbles it and throws it to the ground and i'm like all oh, right And I'm like aware of how massive, my dad's six foot four. I was like four foot, like three foot, two foot. I don't know how big I was. I was in the water. I was like foot level with him looking up. I'm like, oh my gosh, right? And then later I kind of drew to him, right? Very kind of tenderly. And he just looked at me with loving eyes and I knew he was for me and it drew me in, the fear of the Lord. Like I knew if a fight happened, I'm on my dad's side, right? You just don't mess because they were messing with his family. You don't do that. I wanted him on my side. I wanted to be with him. That's the fear of the Lord. And so this understanding of God as Lord is the beginning of true biblical big W wisdom. And then in that wisdom, right, we said it, and it leads to this, In 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 talks about them being led by the Spirit. People who relate to and hear the voice of and follow the leading as a lifestyle of this loving Lord Jesus who is for us. Who we fear but are drawn to at the same time. This is this beautiful wisdom that we talk about. And Paul's coming in and saying, you're walking in your own little W, wisdom, completely unaware of God, his nearness, his power, his authority, and his lordship, and you treat him as a buddy. He's there when you need him, not to lead you. And so he's saying you're missing this potential. So it dies in into chapter four then, and Paul begins to speak. We look at this morning where Paul comes in and begins to yes, talks about their potential, but then he begins to talk about their potential. Not this is important. Not in a list of actions that they are to do. Everybody, paid Look at me real quick. Some of you get off your phones. This is really important. Jesus is looking at your life, and most of you, he's saying, you have not realized your potential, and his heart is breaking, and you have to be aware of it. That's why you have a coffee conversation, because you can't be on your phone when you're having coffee with somebody, because it's rude. It's that important. And that's not me getting on to you. It's simply saying that's how important the message is. Paul is making it clear. Guys, you have to realize, women, you have to realize this is life and death. Your potential. He is leading them in the moment say, it's not about right action, it's about right being. Like the WWJD bracelets, all of us have probably owned them in the day, and some of you have done this. I'm do, do, do. oh, like, what would Jesus do, right? And you look at your, you know, it's like, it's like you're, like, you're like, you know, what's, uh, uh, like, what's his name? And um, oh my gosh, 007 James Bond looking at your wrist, like, what should I do, right? No, WWJD right here, like, what would Jesus do in this moment? You're like torn. I feel this way, but I want to, whatever, right? And the idea is W.J.D. misses it in one place. It speaks to your actions, doesn't it? Right action. And the idea is it wants to be birthed out of a right being. And so what Paul's leading us to saying, it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. Being a Christian isn't just about doing the right action. Every single Christian has missed it somewhere in their life of thinking that being a Christian was about right action. Action about doing the right thing and saying the right thing and reading the right thing or not doing this and not saying that. And you based your Christianity on right action and Paul's coming and saying, it's not right action, it's right being, it's 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 having the source of your action pure, having the source of your action holy, having the source of your action birthed in this being of Jesus inside of you. And he begins to speak about this being, this being, our existence, the source of our existence in chapter 4. And it's important you recognize he's speaking to them, verse 15, as a good father who knows them better than anybody else and probably knows them better than they know themselves and probably knows Jesus' calling on their life better than they do. Because I don't. if you want to know what the possibilities are of a child in life, ask their parents. Say, well, my child is this, but... And they can, they can talk about how awesome their child could be. You know what I mean? Paul's doing this right here and talking about this nature of their being. So in the very first couple of verses, he comes in in verse 1 and says, this is how you should regard us, in verse 1, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And so what Paul speaks to right here is being, not actually speaks to his and Apollos' being. Who they are, the reason that they live. Do you know why you live? Like have you ever, like do you wake up every day going, Why do I exist today? Paul's speaking here, saying, Your life has divine, holy, Kingdom consequences every moment of every day. When you wake up, it's your life is designed by God with Christ in you to shape and to shake the world you live around. Do you wake up every day with this kingdom calling of God ringing loudly in your ears? Paul is saying, I wake up every day recognizing my being is defined as a servant of of God and a steward of everything he's given me charge of. I think all of us understand by nature what a servant is. We love all-inclusive resorts because they're full of servants who do whatever we say. We say, bring us a fruity drink, and they bring us a fruity drink. There's nothing better than that, right? We tell them we want a steak. They bring us a steak, and they say, thank you for, they even say, thank you for serving us, right? It's like, that's what we want in life, right? We love, we know what servant talks. we love being served. Some kids call their mom servant. Don't do that, right? So we live, we understand this idea of servant, people who are there to do what we want, and they have given up their own freedoms and their own rights to what they want so that someone else can receive what they need. And so Paul's coming, saying, I am a servant of God, and I'm serving you. I'm here to devote my life to make sure that God has what he wants and to make sure that you're getting from God, right? Make sure that you're getting what God wants you to have through me. I am committed my life as a servant. I'm here to serve. And then he comes down to a word we don't use as much today. It's the word steward. And unfortunately, that word's only been attached to finances in the church. But the idea of being a steward is a person's on the screen, a person who is appointed by an owner to be responsible and accountable for his household. Right, so this lead on the screen. A person who is appointed by an owner to be responsible and accountable for a household. So let's just say, lead on the screen. Let's just say for a moment, I'm leaving my house tomorrow for three months. Right, and I take Scott Hendricks right here. Wave your hand, real good looking guy right there. I take Scott and I say, dude, I need you to move into my house and be responsible for everything that is there and treat it and be so responsible that if something happens, you feel it on the inside and you take care of it as if it were your own. But it still belongs to me. And Scott said, yes. And so Scott moves in, becomes fully responsible for, for my bills, right? For my yard, for all the cleaning in the house, for every person who calls, everything that's going on. Scott is responsible for it, and he takes care of it because I've given him responsibility. You can think about a ship captain. A ship captain has a steward, right? And so what happens? He is on up top, and he goes, hey, I've got to go onto the island for a bit. You're in charge. And then what happens? Does he have to call the captain to figure out what to do with everything? No. He then takes ownership of the ship and treats it as if it's its own. And so he steers, he guides, he gives direction, he has all of these pieces in his stead, in his place. And so what's happening here is Paul is coming, saying, I am a servant of God and your servant, I'm also a steward of God. And the idea is this, Paul and Apollos, they have been appointed by God. They have been called out. They've been asked by God. It says, you are now responsible and accountable, listen, for the nourishment, the growth, and the actions of those entrusted to you by God. And they will then serve God in all of this for the rest of their life. That's the call on on Paul and Apollos' life says, we are servants. This is our being. We exist to serve God and to steward and to care for every responsibility that God has given us and called us to invest into in our life. That is is our being. That's why we take this converse, coffee conversation with no phones so, res- so, we're so responsible. We take it so seriously because this is this being. It flows out of us. And this, he comes again and speaks, says, This, this, this is what we're called to. This is our being. And then he comes down and he challenges them and says, And because of that, it goes down to verse like three through uh, five. He basically says, and so in that, we're not judged by any man. We Read that a few minutes ago, right? He says, but as with me in verse three, it's a very small thing that should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but... I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. That's what he does. And so what he's saying is, this is important. What is it saying here? There's lots of things, but the primary piece is saying is we're not judged by human beings. It doesn't really matter what they say about us. We live with an audience of one, Jesus. You're going to, people are going to make judgments. They're going to say things all day long about us. You're going to say things about us. We're going to even say things about ourselves, but those things don't ultimately carry weight. What The only thing that carries weight in this world is what Jesus says about us. We live with the judgments of one. Only one voice ultimately has the weight to change the direction of my life. Only one voice has the weight to bring, listen, girls, all youth, look at me. There is only one voice that defines your ultimate value in your beauty, and it's his name is Jesus. Your dad comes second. Jesus defines your beauty. Jesus defines for us our value in life. If you listen to any other voice, then you've bought into the lie of the enemy who's come to steal, kill, and destroy you. The voice of Jesus is the only voice. And so in this moment, he's saying, I'm not going to be judged by the world. My value in life is not defined by how much I have, what other people think about me competing with the Joneses. Who gives a rip? All I do is look beyond all that to see Jesus say, hey, they're saying this, right? What do you think about me? Oh, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. You think I'm awesome. I'm beautiful. I'm pretty great all the time because that's what you said. Who defines your value? Paul's struggling for them because they're having their value defined by their culture around them and everything everybody else is saying about them. And it is the great English say, it's rubbish, it's rubbish, it's garbage, it's worthless. And so Paul's coming in and saying, you're so defined by all of these things. And then he comes down later, and in verse 10 through 13, and he describes, he describes them in comparison to him, he says, You're living for the world, and you want to be defined in this way. And here we are as apostles, as servants of God, and we're defined this way. And, if you, and so he describes, let's look at verse 10 through 13. It's this beautiful, powerful, overwhelming comparison. It says, We are fools. We're fools. In the eyes of the world, we are fools. For the Christ's sake, oh, but in your own eyes, and what you aspire to is you are wise. Excuse me, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, oh, but you are strong. You were held in honor, but we in disrepute or with a lack of reputation. For this present hour, we hunger and thirst, which means you go after food and wine, right? We are poorly dressed while you go after great, beautiful things to wear. You were buffeted and you were... We are buffeted and we are homeless. We labor, working with our own hands rather than laying back and just have people serve us, right? When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat or bless again. We, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And so in this... Paul, again, is speaking about the aspirations. He says, guys, you're aspiring to the things that the world places great value in. And they're holding you captive. You're going after wisdom, right? You're going after things that you could wear. You're going after places that you can go. You're going after things that are valuable in the world. But here are the things that, that that we're experiencing in our own life. And in the eyes of God, these are holy things. In the eyes of God, these are right things. So what if we're the scum of the earth? Jesus doesn't think that way about us. Audience of one. See, the question we have to begin to ask and the thing that these disciples here in Corinth are having to ask themselves is, where are we placing our greatest value? Like, what do we look to and aspire to have define our value in life? So is it, is it being a great mother? And if someone, if someone says to you, oh my gosh, you were a terrible mother. You go, oh my gosh. And you crumble under the weight of that without actually taking the value of what Jesus, maybe you've been doing something in obedience to God. Maybe you're parenting the best you know how and you're sitting your va- and all of a sudden someone says something and you crumble. Because you so value what the world thinks. Maybe it's about your job and having lots of money. Maybe you use the language, I just want to be able to provide for my children. And when someone, and then all of a sudden, in that you're challenged by this financial peace, and and he's saying, Man, what God, it's about poverty here and being obedient to Christ. Whatever God values, what do you value? That, in, that it's really something that's more of like an idol in your life, something that, that defines you, that separates you from this divine purpose that God has for you. I don't know what it is. I wish I could sit here and look at you and tell you, here's what your value is found in Paul's gonna say, I'm challenging this foundation of value that you have in your life. And then he comes down in verse 15 and 16, it says these things. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have any fathers. He's representing himself as a father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now, that imitators of me should be an overwhelming and profound statement Because Paul is looking at them and saying, in verse 4, verse 1, hey, we are servants and we are stewards. We find our greatest value in what God thinks about us, unlike you. And I'm encouraging and saying to you as your father who knows best, you need to watch us and imitate us. And the thing is this, he's not saying imitate our actions, although that will happen What he's saying is imitate our being. Give yourself to the big W, not little W, right? The wisdom of God. Give yourself to the fear of the Lord and recognizing it's not me living for self, but living as a servant, living as a steward, living in this place of the fear of God, living in this place as as we talked earlier about, living, being led by the power and the person of the Holy Spirit in every situation of life. I step into a situation, I recognize what's going on, and I say, in this setting, at work, raising my kids, hanging out with my wife, talking to my neighbors, that Jesus has put me in this situation to be led by him, to serve him, and to be a good steward with all the things he's given to me, to be highly responsible with all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, with all the fruit of the Holy Spirit, to be responsible in this moment to express Christ-likeness in all that I'm doing press pause and just ask yourself this question, replaying everything that you did this week, I think Scott did this a couple weeks ago, replaying your actions or your, your, uh, your moments of the week. If you look back, are you confident that you were giving lordship to Jesus, like control to Jesus, in every single conversation that you were in to let him be himself through you in the moment? Like, I can't. I don't say that's a condemnation thing. Like, I I just recognize there are so many moments I find myself after the fact going, oh, I didn't even know. I was totally unaware of of the wisdom of God in the moment to lead me into the places that he wanted to lead me so this person might experience the life that can only be found in Jesus. See, there are so many voices. I had a dream. This was uh, about four years ago. In my dream, I had a it, was a, it was a, it was a dream from the Lord and it was representing to the, the end times. And, and in my dream, I get these about, about quarterly, something like this. In my dream, I, I saw over a period of time, this dark cloud overtake a massive city didn't happen like this it was over a period of time it was like it was like in my mind everything was fast forward so it was like it happened quickly in my dream but it was in fast forward so it happened over a long period of time and in my dream and don't try to interpret this specifically I'm just going to get to the heart of it in my dream was this this beautiful large building that was being erected and fast forward you've seen that probably on television shows like this building that was kind of built up over a period of time and and, and, and there were these large speakers, north, south, east, and west, and each of it. And all of, a su- and all of a sudden, I watched this, and as that was being built, this dark shadow, and I recognized this, this speaker system thing was kind of the, the source of, of this movement of darkness. And so, all of a sudden, I find myself in the middle of the city with my wife and two kids. And all of a sudden I look up and I'm standing right at the base of this large building that's been built. And all of a sudden I'm like very sober, you know what I mean? Like ugh, like, like I'm, on, I'm on guard, you know what I mean? Sober and on guard. And all of a sudden this nice like grandma type, um, like white hair, really friendly lady comes out. She says, hey everybody, everyone please, let's please turn your attention to the building and listen to everything that's said. And I remember going, no, no. And I grabbed my children and we began, I turned them away. I says, cover your ears, cover your ears, cover your ears, right? Cover your ears. And I'm talking the entire time, hoping that they, and I'm like, are they going to listen to me? Are they going to listen to this voice? Are going to listen to me? And they listen to the voice? Because it wasn't this sure thing that I could protect my children. I'm like trying to turn them. And I'm trying to turn them. And, and, and all of a sudden, everyone's just like. Uh, turning around, looking, and I'm like, recognize what, and I'm not even listening. I don't know what's coming out, but whatever's coming out of this is so damning that it's literally going to lead people into darkness. And all of a sudden, my dream shifts, and yes, the, the world has come to an end, basically. Now, don't try to dive too far into the eschatology of that, what the end times mean in that dream. All I know is this. There was a legitimate voice of culture that was ripping at my personal family to steal us away and to focus us on something that would lead us into a world of darkness that would cause us to grow cold and to grow numb in our faith and our relationship with Jesus. And I had to fight with everything inside of me to renounce the voice of culture, and it could be anything the voice of culture could be anything that you are attracted to and tempted by you know what it is i don't and i felt like the god was saying in this end times will be such a loud voice of culture ripping at the hearts of people that they're going to lose their potential lose their sharpness just like the corinthians They should have been mature, eating spiritual meat. But chapter 3 told us that they were immature, still drinking spiritual milk, defined by the culture and completely ineffective, living in competition with one another and completely useless to the kingdom. Because they focused on little wisdom, their own strength, their own abilities, focusing on self at all times, not having their being shaped by God into servants and of stewards. And Paul speaks this word not because he is angry, but like a father who looks at their child who's not where they're supposed to be and is heartbroken because he knows their potential like we know our children's potential. And he looks and he says, just look to me Imitate me. Allow your being to be shaped as a servant and as a steward fearing the Lord, leaning into him because he is large and he is big and he guards and he guides and he protects and he leads us. And if you lead yourself you will turn to this big building but instead lean into Jesus, turn away and he will empower you to live counter-culturally for the purposes of his kingdom. This is your potential. Because as every good parent and every good leader would believe, I lead you with an expectation. Listen, I lead you, I parent you with the expectation of you exceeding me in everything. Spiritually. Spiritually. He expected the Corinthians to know Jesus better and more fully than he did, to take his foundation and to launch from it. We are defined. He's not saying you're not defined by my potential. You're defined by my potential married to the work that God can do personally in your life. You can exceed. You can exceed. Imitate me. Embrace the life of a servant embrace the life of being a steward god has appointed you to be responsible and accountable for the nourishment growth and the actions of those entrusted by god to you this is where god is leading us invite the worship team to come forward we're just going to take a time of ministry and of worship this morning if you need to go you can and the idea is this real simple Jesus, search me and know me. Know my inmost being, my inmost thought. God, where is my being not being defined by big W? God, where is this tension in me? God, where are you leading me? God, where have I turned? Where have I turned in my own life? God, we need to turn back to you. God, where does wisdom need to be birthed in me? God, I want to be defined by your potential. God, I want to be used powerfully. God, I want my being to be shaped in the same way that Paul and Apollos' as servants and stewards saying, I don't care if I never get a great vacation for the rest of my life. I don't care if I never get to eat at that restaurant ever. I don't care, God, if I never get to travel the world and explore the most beautiful things, God. I don't care if I never move beyond where I am in my job. God, I don't care if I remain single for the rest of my life. God, I don't care if I don't have the things my neighbors have because all that defines me is that I'm judged by you and that you love me and that you're enough and being your servant and being your steward and receiving everything that you have for me is enough. Even God, if I am if I am mocked, if I am made fun of, Lord, if I'm always poor, never have all these things, it doesn't matter as long as I have you. Remember, Paul said, "To live as Christ, and to die as gain." To live as Christ, everything in my life that matters is because of Jesus. Let the Lord search you and know you this morning. We pray for you. God, we just pray this morning that you would speak into our beings truth. And that, God, we would step into our potential in Christ. That you'd overwhelm us this morning with your favor. You'd overwhelm us with your wisdom and our knowledge of Jesus. We bless you. We pray this in Jesus' name.